0: let's begin in prayer dear jesus we thank you for bringing us together here online where even in the midst of being told that we are to stay at home and to social distance how we can still gather in this way and so lord we pray that as tonight we get into your word from the book of john that you teach us something and that you provide hope and comfort in all this we pray amen all right so if you are following along with us we're going to be in john chapter 16 and um, also what we are doing is we are going to of course have the uh, scripture here on our screen but really what i encourage you to do is i encourage you to actually press pause right now and go find a real bible yes a real bible or if you are a digital person and you uh, typically use uh, like say the bible app on your iphone or ipad go and use that as well don't just passively absorb this stuff i'm encouraging you to actually get your bible out and not only follow along but also i want you to make some notes in there as well because uh, as that's part of this teaching service, as we go through this time together, it is not just to absorb information, but rather it's to actively engage with it, to write it down, so that hopefully uh, some many even years later, you can look back at some of the notes that you may have written down about the coronavirus. And speaking of the coronavirus, we're going to be talking tonight, John 16, about how Jesus is one who... Is in charge. He's the one who has overcome the world. And as well, he's going to talk about how there is suffering in the world. And even though that there is suffering in the world, how he is such a good God. How he is able to to take sorrow and turn it into joy. And I got to tell you that that really that was the sermon from this morning uh, about how God is able to take brokenness, able to take suffering, able to take sorrow and instead is able to give us joy out of that. So let's actually begin here. So if we go right into chapter 16, verse 16, it says this. It says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. (laughs) So I got to tell you that the book of John I remember, uh, for some reason as a kid thinking that it was one of the simpler gospels. And now as an adult, I'm going through it and I just think to myself, what? And I have to read and reread and reread some of these verses just to even understand what is possibly going on here. Uh, but this is what Jesus does. Jesus is, is one, whatever he teaches, he, he, he talks in a way that is direct that is for his disciples, that is for us today. But he also speaks a lot of times using metaphors and things. And And, and, and so what he's talking about here, he's saying, you just there's going to be a time, a little while, where you will see me no longer. And what Jesus is talking about here is he is talking about his death on the cross. And he is talking about how he is going to suffer and he is going to die on the cross And for three days, he is going to descend into hell. And then, what this says, so they will no longer see him, all right? There will be a short period of time where they will no longer see him. That's the three days that he is in hell. And then again, a little while, and you will see me. Uh, So, in other words, we're talking about this resurrection that you just give it a little bit of time, and then you will see Jesus again. He will be resurrected resurrected. You see what's so amazing about Easter, and Easter really is just right around the corner here, is that you can't have Easter without Good Friday. And Good Friday, we call it Good Friday because it's exactly that. It is good. It's not bad Friday, it's Good Friday. Even though that Jesus suffered, he bled and he died, it's Good Friday because at that moment he paid for all of our sins and reconciled us to God. An incredible moment, one of the greatest days in history. And and yet, you have suffering on Good Friday, but then you have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus raising from the grave. One of the greatest days of all of history right here. And so, a little while, you will see me no longer again. A little while, you will see me. And I got to tell you, if I am his disciples, you're probably spinning your head going, huh? what are you talking about? We will and we won't see you. What what exactly is happening here? And in verse 17 is what happens. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while? You will not see me in a little while. You will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does this mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And see what what's so great about the disciples here is 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 can you just imagine what it would be like to be a disciple of Jesus? I, I mean I think about this all the time, really, where just imagine actually walking behind Jesus. You're you're literally following him. We say we follow Jesus. They literally followed him. They were to be covered in the dust of the rabbi here. To actually see Jesus perform miracles, to be eyewitnesses of all these things happening—can you imagine being in that situation? And in some ways, I, I think to myself, man, I, I envy that. I, I wish that I could. I wish that I could have been a disciple back in Jesus' time. But also, I got to tell you that that we're actually very blessed today, two thousand years later, because we have the story from beginning end we have the whole picture here see the disciples as they were going through it they didn't have the a to z the front to back full picture instead they were just getting little snippets at a time and so these disciples of course are a little confused about what jesus is talking about and and also what's so great about jesus is that he knows everyone's heart and he knows what everyone is thinking and going through. And so he already knows that, that they're having trouble with this. And so what we have here in verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking about yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me in a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So what Jesus is, of course, talking about here is, is his betrayal, his mock trial, his arrest, and then ultimately his beating and his suffering and his crucifixion. That's what Jesus is talking about. And also for the disciples. See, where were the disciples whenever Jesus was betrayed and arrested and was on the trial where were the disciples? Let me tell you, they were not standing next to him saying, "Hey, this is this is the guy we've been following for for three years." In fact, uh, what we have here is we have all the disciples just flee. They just run for the hills. And and we do have an eyewitness at the cross. We do have John. He was there. The disciple whom Jesus loved. He was there. But but also what we have is we have people like Peter. Um, the same peter who jesus said that on this rock on this peter here i'm going to build my church that same peter was the peter who was out in the courtyard with an eye shot of jesus saying i am not his disciple i do not know the man i am not i am not who you who you say that i am denying jesus not once not twice but three times And so, that's what Jesus is saying here, that that there will be sorrow. And, And for the disciples, can you imagine following Jesus for three years, seeing him perform these miracles, hear his teachings firsthand, and then to watch him just get spit on, and mocked, and whipped, and beaten, and then crucified? So much sorrow. And yet, even though that in the midst of this sorrow, the world, So John here is constantly making this separation between the disciples, the followers of Jesus, his children, his beloved, his flock, and also the distinction between them and the world. And the world, in this case, is going to rejoice in Jesus' suffering. In fact, you can imagine that there were people standing by at the cross who were rejoicing, who were thinking to themselves, yes, yes. And how much Satan must have influenced them for them to have a thought like that, to see Jesus on the cross and for the world to rejoice. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But then he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. And then in verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. He gives this analogy here about childbirth. And now I got to tell you that uh, back in December of 2018, um, it was for sure the longest day of my life whenever my wife gave birth to Hannah, and I got to tell you that for everyone I've asked, no one has really cared about my feelings or, or how I was doing that day because all they cared about was was her and the baby, obviously. And I got to tell you that if it was the longest day in my life, I'm sure it was the longest day in her life as well. And indeed, there was pain, but but I do remember, just as Jesus says here, that whenever she got to hold Hannah right away, immediately her sorrow turned in to joy so he uses this analogy here in verse 22 so also you have sorrow now but i will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you and so we have sorrow about the foretelling of Jesus' suffering on the cross but then we have joy which is going to happen on easter sunday just three days later. And he's telling them all this, a warning, planting seeds, hoping that they'll remember, and they did because it ended up here in in the book of John here. But Jesus is saying that your hearts will rejoice on Easter morning. Sorrow turns into joy. And I just got to tell you that as well, what a relevant message. Once again, we didn't plan this, but God did to talk about this tonight because in the midst of everything that's happening in our world about how there is sorrow right now, um, there is sorrow for those who are, are affected by the coronavirus, for those who are sick, especially those who are elderly. I can think of my grandma who is in an assisted living unit in Oklahoma, and there is two confirmed cases of COVID-19 in her facility. I can think of her sorrow. I can think of the sorrow as well of, of anyone who has experienced uh, difficulties and, and uh, being laid off and hours cut, financial loss. And, and we can think about all that. We can think about the sorrow that, that we can experience in this world. But then, too, we can talk as well about how God can take something that is sorrow and just even, in this case, three days later, turn it into to joy. And and certainly as Christians, we have that hope, don't we? Because even if someone is affected by the coronavirus and they are a believer in Jesus, as painful and as much suffering as they go through now, we have hope on the other side of eternity. We have hope of heaven to be with Jesus and to be with him for all of forever. And so yes, we have sorrow. Yes, we have suffering. But two, we have that hope That no matter what happens to us on earth, that if we hang in there, we continue in the faith, then we know that we have this promise of hope of Jesus Christ on the other side. But not only in eternity in heaven, but too in this earth today as well. That that if we go to God, we can receive comfort and we can receive strength. You see, the Holy Spirit is actually sent out into this world. He's sent into you, into your lives. And so really what's so amazing about about the gospel here is that the Holy Spirit can actually fill you and actually give you strength and power to do incredible things and to give us a new perspective, to give us joy even in the midst of suffering. And I do use that word joy. Because Jesus did. Notice it's it's not happiness like we think of it as the emotion. You know, when people say like, well, I just really want my kids to be happy, or how come I don't feel happy right now? Well, what, what they're really talking about, the way we use it in our culture today, is happiness is something that is fleeting. It is something that is here one minute, but it's something that is gone the next. You could be happy that you found five dollars in your pocket and then you stub your toe you're no longer happy but joy is something way more sustaining than that and so let's continue so then we have this uh, verse 23 it says in that day you will ask nothing of me truly truly i say to you whatever you ask of the father in my name he will give it to you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive That your joy may be full. So again, Jesus here is talking, uh, for one, about this relationship that we have between us and God and the Father here. But as well, he mentions this earlier in the Gospels as well. Like on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how that we can go to God for for anything, and he even says the reason you don't have is because you didn't ask. And, and that's true because there are so many things in my life that that I've gone through. And I've even thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if I should pray about this. I wonder if I should give this to God. And you know what? I'll have to be honest. There's been times when I'll just go, eh. And, and the reasoning is completely flawed. But it could be something like, well, I just don't want to bother God with that little thing. God's got more important things to think about. Or maybe I'll think that, well, if I give it to God, uh, maybe I'm just getting my hopes up. And what, I just got to be real, I've done this in my life. But how foolish is that, that we can go to God with anything. And Jesus even says the reason we don't have is because we haven't even asked. So that our joy may be complete. Again, this word joy here. And so, here's what we have in verse 25. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And Jesus often does. Whenever Jesus talks, often uses figures of speech. But he says this, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God i came from the father and have come into the world and now i am leaving the world and going to the father see what's what's so great about this here is that a few things one is that the jesus is talking about how yeah he's using Figures of speech right now, but one day he's going to speak very plainly. And then he just speaks very plainly about his relationship between him and the Father and him interceding for us on behalf of the Father. So in, in other words, we have, we have what we call the Trinity. And this is really how we describe God. It is that we have one God, but then we have three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And within that trinity, there is a relationship. And that's exactly what um, Jesus is talking about here. But he's also talking about how if you love the Father, you have to love me. And if you love me, you have to love the Father. It can't be either or. And really, I've actually heard people say this. I've actually heard people say, oh yeah, you know, um, I have a relationship with God, but Jesus well, I'm not really sure if, if, he, if, if he really is Lord and Savior. But no, I've got a relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying here is you can't do that because of the Trinity, because there is one God. Now it's God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there's one God. And so what we have here is we have this. And then the disciples, I, I just, you know, I love the disciples. They, they say this, they say, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Exclamation mark here. Verse 30. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So what's what's great about the disciples is saying, oh, well, great. Finally, now you're speaking plainly to us. We understand everything. <laughs> not quite. Not quite because... In fact, what's going to happen later that night is they're all going to flee and deny Jesus. So clearly they don't understand everything that, that is being told to them. And Jesus answered them. He says, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have, say it with me, underline this. This is what I'm saying. you got to have a Bible out. Underline, circle, highlight. I have overcome the world. Look at that right here. So Jesus is saying that, I mean, do you really get it? Because the hour is coming and the hour is now that you're all just going to leave and abandon me. But don't worry, I'll be fine. <laughs> you know, as if that's the worry. I'll, I'll be fine because I'll have, I'll have the Father and the Father will be with me. So then, but then it goes on to say this, take heart, even in the midst of trials and tribulation, take heart because I have overcome the world. See, the message of Jesus is that he is in control he has overcome the world you know what he does is whenever he goes to the cross even though that it looks like defeat it's actually victory in fact one of my favorite scenes from the movie the passion of the christ and by the way it is lent and easter is coming up and so is good friday so this week next week could actually be a really good time to sit down and watch that you know without your kids because it is rated r but but really, it's one of my favorite things that, that I do just about every year. And But one of my favorite scenes in the movie is that whenever Jesus dies on the cross, that it immediately goes, it cuts to Satan and hell. And he is screaming, No! Because he knows that he has lost. What well, looks like defeat for everyone else who's standing there, Jesus is victory. And... Behold, I have overcome the world. So then, what happens is now we move into chapter 17. In chapter 17, here, if you look at the um, the subtitle, it says this is called the high priestly prayer. And and let's unpack that just for a second. So. So what we have here is Jesus has three roles. He has the role of being a prophet, priest, and king. And his role as a priest means that he intercedes for the people. So, so think of it like this. So back in the Old Testament... Um, the role of the priest was to kind of mediate, kind of be between the people and God. And so, um, in fact, one of the things the priest would do every year is to go into the Holy of Holies, where the Holy Spirit was, and would actually pray a prayer prayer to atone for and pardon the sins of the people. And so, so what a priest does is a priest goes between the people and God, mediates, intercedes for them, and, and what Jesus does is Jesus is our high priest. He is the great high priest. And, and so as a result, we can go directly to God because we have Jesus. So we don't need to go to a priest. We don't need to go to someone in order to get to God. We can go directly to God because of the work of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But one of the things that Jesus does here is that that he actually has a moment right before all the events happen for his arrest or his betrayal, arrest, trial, all that kind of stuff, is that he prays for his children. He prays for his disciples he prays for for his disciples two thousand years ago but he 's also see this is written for us today too. This is written for you and for me and and I do believe that when Jesus was praying this prayer that he was thinking about his children, his disciples here of all time and so so here 's what it says so, so he is the the high priestly prayer where he is going to Go to God, and he's going to say these words. So here's what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So talking about the events that's going to happen on the cross. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So, again, we have this triunal relationship here, this this relationship within the Trinity of the relationship between the Father and the Son. And Jesus is now lifting his eyes. He's praying directly to the Father. And and what we have here is we's, we's talking about how to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. See, what I love about this is that when we talk about this, this area of, of election, we, we have in this area of salvation and faith, it, it is God who does the work, and it is God who chooses. And that's exactly what it says here. All whom you, the Father, have given him, the Son... And, and so one of the, the dangerous things that the, the certainly I grew up with and in my faith tradition before I saw the light and became a Lutheran was that we use this phrase, I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, you know I'm going to accept. I'm going to make a choice. And, and, and one of the dangers of that is, is to put the onus, to put the act of salvation on the person. To, to, to say that that I am choosing God here. And, and really what Jesus just said here, the priestly prayer, where Jesus says that all whom you have given, faith is given. And so then we have this in, in verse three. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, So again, we have this reference to the Trinity here. Also notice that Jesus is the one who is being sent into the world. And really that's what it was. In fact, later Jesus is going to talk about how his disciples are now sent into the world just as Jesus was sent. And then in verse four, it says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now father, father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, what's so great about God is that God is eternal. He is infinite. So not only will he live forever, and by the way, so will we in heaven, those who have faith in him will live forever. But for God, God has always lived previously as well. Uh, Even in the beginning, God has always been around. And it's something that is mind-boggling and hard for us to understand. But but that's this relationship that Jesus is talking about here. Glorify me, just like even before the world existed, to have that triunal relationship there. So then in verse 6 it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were... And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Again, the children are given to Jesus by the Father. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So God's children, his disciples, are now receiving the words that come from the Father through Jesus. And then in verse nine, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. You see, earlier in the book of John, John 3.16, it's one of the more famous Verses of the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to all who believe in him will not perish but inherit eternal life. God loves the world. He loves all people and desires all to have salvation and come to faith in him. But ultimately, so many people live their lives where they look at God directly in this face and say, nah, I'd rather do my own thing. And I've talked to people who have directly said that. Can you believe that? They, they've, they've actually said, I want nothing to do with God. And they go and they live their lives accordingly. And so even though that God loves the world, also what we have here. In the Book of John is this distinction between those who are his disciples and those who are the world, and they are at opposition with each other, and so the world opposes jesus, the world opposes his disciples, and so what Jesus is saying here is he 's saying i 'm not praying for for those who oppose, but rather for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, they are his children and then in verse ten. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. So Jesus now is going to not only die and he's not only going to descend into hell and raise, but also he's going to be with them just for a short time and then he's going to ascend into heaven. And so so he is coming back to home. He's coming back to heaven to the Father. So he is no longer in the world, but now his disciples are going to be in the world. And really that is the continuation of this story. The book of Acts is the next chapter here, where we get the disciples are given the Holy Spirit and they go out and they are sent and they preach. So then it says this in uh, verse 12, while... I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. What's Jesus talking about here? Of course, he's talking about Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And that only happens so that Scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Again, this word, joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Last week, if you were here, we had talked extensively on this uh, back in chapter 15 and early chapter 16 about how the disciples are going to be persecuted for their faith from the world, those that oppose Jesus. And indeed, that's what we have here, is that we have have this section right here. (laughs) Sorry, I lost my place that just simply says, yes, that the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as Jesus is not of the world. So when we talk about this phrase, of the world. Think about what it means to be of the world, to be worldly. That, that is simply this section of, of abandoning God, abandoning his word, abandoning his commands, and just completely blending in to those who are evil and those who oppose Jesus. And they were hated because they were not of the world. So they actually went a different way. They actually obeyed God, and they actually followed Jesus and his commands. Therefore, they looked different. They stood out, and they were hated for that. And then it says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See, look at this right here. So one of the two mistakes that some Christians can make is... And, and so we use this phrase coming right here, is that Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. So one mistake that some Christians will make is is to not be in the world at all. So they're going to seclude themselves. They're going to, um, well, I guess, go into lockdown, go into quarantine, and they're going to shy away from people who aren't Christians. And 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 really, for for them, uh, it's this fear that if they were to go outside, this fear that if they were to actually engage with non-Christians, then then they would stumble and they would lose their faith. And and so they just kind of, like a monastery, just kind of um, separate themselves. And certainly we see this with uh, Puritan groups um, in some groups that still exist that are very much of this mindset that we are going to take ourselves, our children, our families, our churches, we're going to take them out of the world and we're just going to create this little bubble, this little uh, hurdle here. And But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that he doesn't want to take them out of the world. He actually wants to keep us in the world, but just not be of the world. The other mistake that Christians make is that they say, okay, well, we need to be in the world. And then they conform to the patterns of the world and no longer conform to Jesus and his calling. And so what Jesus commands us here is to is to be in the world. And and so really it is a question, like especially, I'll confess, working at a church and having a lot of Christian friends, how many non-Christian friends do I have? And the answer is not that many. How many times have I hung out with some of my neighbors who don't know Jesus? And, and how have I entered into their lives in such a way that I can introduce Jesus to them? You see, if I'm just locked inside my house the whole time, how could I possibly introduce Jesus to anyone who doesn't know them? And so, so really that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to go, to be in the world, but do not conform to it. Do not be Of the world. And so then Jesus goes on and he says this Sanctify them in the truth. So to set apart, sanctify the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. So just as Jesus was sent, so too we are sent. We are on a mission. We're missionaries sent out to the world. And so I really wanted to get to that point. And we'll stop there for tonight. So let us pray. Dear Jesus, indeed, we thank you so much for gathering us here on this online format where we can talk about all these really important things, about what it means to Uh, about how you have taken sorrow and you've turned it into joy, about how you've overcome the world, about how you call us to be in the world but not of the world. And indeed, it is tempting to do one or the other. It is tempting to either shut ourselves off from any other people who don't know Jesus. And yet, how can we be sent? How can we share you with others if we do that? The other temptation, Lord, is to be so much part of the world that we no longer look and act like you and to be a disciple of you. Instead, we just completely blend in with those who oppose you and who have abandoned you. So, Lord, give us this strength. Give us this balance to go, to be in the world, to get out of our bubble, but also, Lord, to share Jesus with the people and and that when we're out that they see something in us. And, and and that it's a good thing, and they want to know why we have the hope that we do. So God, that is our prayer, especially in this time where it is difficult, where many of us are struggling. And so God, we pray that you give us the strength and you give us this guidance as we go back into our lives here, and all this we pray, amen. And so really, I hope that you guys go with us today. And I hope as well that you go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen.